Rusty Quill presents. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM. Hey everybody, welcome to the West Side Fairy Tales Horror and Lit Club episode for July, the uh, true last episode of the regular season of the West Side Fairy Tales. If you're new here uh, and you're confused about what's going on, don't worry, this isn't a trick. Um, this isn't a, uh, this is not a normal episode, this is, uh, these are, uh, these are things that I do in between regular episodes to elucidate and go into a little bit more on the recommendations for the month uh, made at the beginning of the regular episode. You don't have to listen to these. They aren't crucial to understand anything about the West Side Fairy Tales, but it's just me hanging out, talking to folks. And uh, and, and with that in mind, how, how are you guys doing? I hope you're all well. I hope the uh, the regular season treated you good and you had a good time. Um, I'm happy that I'm done recording. This is one of the last things I'm going to be recording, um, aside from some stuff with, uh, with another project that I work on, um, this summer, which is good because it's a million degrees. And if you don't know, if you don't follow me on, on Instagram or Facebook, you've probably never seen pictures of the inside of the blanket fort, which is, which is my makeshift recording studio, which actually works fairly well. Oh, God damn it. Except for the fact that I've got a mute 17 different fucking things to make sure that they don't start going off while I'm in the middle of recording. Invariably they do. Uh, this is live ish. So I I don't really have the time to, uh, go through and, and take all that out. Um, but man, uh, stuff I I usually, I start this off, uh, talking about stuff I've been listening to and, and looking at and reading lately some sort of uh, some sort of offhand recommendations, and I, I there's a show called Joe Bob's The Last Drive-In with Joe Bob Briggs on Shutter, and folks, it is 
fucking amazing. It's basically a better version of what I do um, <laughs> that I almost wish I would have seen before I started doing these Horror and Lit Club things uh, on the on the off of the main feed on the uh, the Patreon where they started. Uh, just because they were so much, they're so much fun. Um, and, uh, Joe Bob stuff is, is great. He's, he's, he gives out the tidbits. Uh, if you've never heard of, of Joe Bob Briggs, um, I hadn't either until like last week. Uh, he is, um, a sort of, uh, country down home country lover of, of good old fashioned exploitation, horror films, uh, blood and guts and glory. It, it's fucking awesome. And basically this show is you kind of watch a movie, a random whatever movie on, on, of his selection that's in the horror genre. And he sort of interrupts it throughout and goes to these little segments that take place and ostensibly what's supposed to be a trailer park, but really is is pretty much just his uh set somewhere, probably in California. But um man, I, I, I've been getting really exposed to a lot of uh a lot of classic horror stuff that I'd never really had time before, but that you'd heard of. Uh, the first episode, it's all on Shudder, is called Chud. And Chud, <laughs> it, 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 Chud is like legendary. It's a legendary horror film that nobody has ever seen. Um, and, and honestly, you don't really ever have to see it. Chud stands for Cannibalistic Humanoid Underground Dwellers, but also uh, for something else that they reveal during the movie. It's incredibly stupid. Um, it's kind of a bad movie. Uh, and not in like a fun bad way. It's it's bad in that it's it's completely uninteresting. Like almost almost stunningly, stunningly uninteresting. There's almost no chuds in the film, which Joe Bob talks about right from the beginning. Um, I, I guess they 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 had a fairly decent budget to make the film with, but they didn't spend enough of it on creature costumes, and so um, the, the the actual chuds, the the, the monsters, are, are barely in the movie. But the movie kind of feels like it's better than a normal movie because it's full of all these like Broadway type actors, um, <laughs> not even Broadway type, like literal Broadway actors. There's all these dudes were all friends in New York City, and somehow they got they got money together to make this uh, make this this movie. And so there's like a, a bunch of like startlingly like good acting, but like it's a it's a bad script, so it it, it, it none of it jives well. Um, and it completely falls apart towards the end, but there's been some other great ones. There's, there's, there's been some movies that are going to totally end up as recommendations on next month's, uh, or next year's next seasons. I don't even know how to say it because it's, it's, it's going to, it, it starts in the year, but it's the next season. So <laughs> next seasons, uh, horror recommendations, uh, for sure. Especially there's one called society, which is by far one of the most bizarre, gross movies I've, I've ever seen in my life. Uh, and, and it is almost perfect. Um, and then there's also cue the winged serpent, which might be one of my, uh, uh, might be one of my favorite horror movies I've ever seen. <laughs> <laughs> and, and it'll it'll end up in it'll end up in recommendations too. Um if you guys don't if you guys don't follow me on Instagram or Facebook, you totally should. Uh so you can get pictures of, of random creepy stuff that I run into in, in the wilds of Louisville, Kentucky, which there's actually horrifying weird shit everywhere around here. It, it, we never we never run shy of it. I don't know I don't know why. It's just a it's a creepy older city. In in the middle of in the middle of uh, America, uh, decaying buildings. I live in a really old 
really old part of town called Germantown that's you know, just full of alleyways and and broke things and you just find shit. <laughs> um, and you can you can get in on the action too. Join us on Instagram. The Instagram's Westside Fairy Tales. Get on Facebook. My Facebook is just facebook.com slash Westside Fairy Tales, or you can join the Westside Fairy Tales Horror and Lit Club uh, and, and come in and talk to me about the books and talk to other fans about horror and reading and, and pretty much anything else that kind of just piques your interest that's, uh, that's in those, uh, those categories. It's all pretty great stuff. And if you want to know more about what's going on with the Westside Fairy Tales, it's a great place to be because those people know. First, they are at the cutting edge of West Side Fairy Tales news. Speaking of which, the West Side Fairy Tales news that you need to know um, is we 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 broke up with our person who is supposed to be doing our our merch. Um, it's an amicable breakup. It's just that person was way too busy to get uh, stuff done, and so I'll be taking that over, and hopefully. We'll be having some, we're, we're going to be working on the shop tonight uh, to date this episode, um, but uh, it, it should be up sometime in the next couple weeks, and I'm just going to be handling it on my own from then on. It's not like, uh, the hard part is really, if, you don't, if you've never had to fuck with merch sales, and if any of my friends out there that are in the, the podcast game uh, would tell you that setting up merchandise is literally... Uh, it, it, you have to learn an entire new skill. I, I mean, that is really what the podcast game, really the creativity game is about. That's the true test of a creative person is if you can continue learning new shit. Uh, the making stuff is incidental. Your actual, your actual skill that you're being, you're, you're being graded on, whether you, you know it and understand it or not, is your ability to just learn things and like grow from them and grow with them. And then at the end of that, you kind of put it back out there into the world. So, you know, in writing, it's most obvious is like, well, I don't know anything about autopsies, but I want to write about autopsies for this thing. So now it's time to go and become a, a, a journeyman expert at fucking at autopsy stuff. And now I have to learn how to do merch sales, which is a whole thing, man. It's a whole thing. Thank God for print on demand. Cause I don't know how it would have even have been possible before that. If you don't, if you guys don't know what print on demand is P O D um, it's pretty much how most people do merchandise stuff. Now it's actually a really good balance uh, between cost and income. You, you, you get a much worse cut of the sales, right? So, you know, normally when you go and you buy a t-shirt at a store, the store is actually speculating it, it you most retailers are actually gambling, although you wouldn't think it um, if you don't understand how it works. But what you're really doing is you're saying, I have, you know, uh, I have a store, I have a, I have a front. People come to me for certain types of things. I think, I think that this collection is going to sell, and I think I'm going to sell on average 50 mediums, 10 larges, two extra larges, uh, 80 smalls and then like maybe five or six extra smalls, blah, 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 blah. So you have to buy those. And if somebody comes in and they can't find their size, they're, they're not going to spend money. They're going to leave and try to go somewhere else. Uh, and if people come in and they don't like it, they won't buy it. And then you're out the money anyway. So you're always kind of like trying to guess on whether or not you can get those customers, which if you're even in that, that world is a hard thing to do. That's why that's one of the biggest reasons retailers is failing are failing. 
Um, it's not because there's there's no interest in buying products from brick and mortar stores. It's just that the old way of doing things it has completely lost its has lost its ability to to work in the modern environment. Uh, where once upon a time you could get by on that gamble by saying, well, at the end of the day, I'm the only motherfucker that sells polo shirts on 8th Street. And if you want a polo shirt, people need those polo shirts. They're going to be coming to me because I'm the guy. I'm the guy that's got that stuff. But you, you can't do that anymore. So all these big box retailers that basically operated by being the only, I'm sorry, I'm moving a box of envelopes. It's the loudest noise on earth. But these big box retailers that were the only guys on, they were the only guys in the block. And they, they basically worked by saying like, hey, I've made it so that there is no competition save for me. They rested on their laurels too long, and now places like Macy's are getting their teeth kicked in and straight down their throats, as they rightfully should. Because as much as they're whining and bitching and moaning, they did the same thing to, like, actual stores owned by normal human beings that were just, you know, little mom-and-pop deals um, 20 or, you know, 60 years ago or whatever now. So they had it coming, man. You had it fucking coming. And it's actually interesting to see all these smaller retailers popping up where these where these big guys used to be. They're, they're all over where I live. Um, there's tiny little boutique places that sell shirts you can only get anywhere, and and they're playing the game. You know, they're playing the gamble, and it's it's they own the market in this case because they're not selling, you know, uh, mass marketed, overprinted, seventy million run. T-shirts, the way that like PacSun and them did, where you know everybody's going to have that same goddamn Volcom shirt at the beginning of the school year. Instead, they sell stuff that only you can only get there because they only make a little bit of it, and so that's that's actually able to work. And I know all of this stuff now because I've been having to study uh, merch things so that I can I can try to monetize that because I know that there's a demand. People are always telling me we want shirts, we want shirts. I want coffee mugs. I want books. I want this. I want that. And I'm like, fuck, I, I want to get it to you guys, but I, I don't I don't know how. Uh, and I don't want to just jump into it because uh, another thing that you learn really fast in the uh, in the podcasting and in the entertainment industry in general is that half of the money that gets traded around in the entertainment industry is just basically people trading off other motherfuckers not knowing they're getting scammed. It's just scam after scam after scam. And even if it's not like something that's full on fraud, it's just in, in making, just creating situations where you're just getting way more money than you deserve from somebody because they don't know better, which I found is it's very much the case with certain places. A lot of people go with, well, I won't name them, but there's certain, there's certain like places they sell t-shirts. They're like, oh, well, I need to sell t-shirts. And they come to you first. They're like, hey, you need to, you, you got, you got, you know, number five on the Stitcher charts in December or whatever. Hey, we want to we want to partner you, with you to make T-shirts, and then you start sending them emails. Be like, okay, well, what do you offer? And they're like, well, you can just go to our website, and then it's like a selection of multiple different like texts and fonts and font sizes because they're copy and pasting stuff from some like maybe some corporate flowchart that they're being paid to send emails out on. Uh, and and these places are terrible because of multiple reasons, but most of it is because they do all of the work for you, and they do it poorly, of course. Uh, and, and still, so they can, they can just, you know, they pull up a dollar, they, they send out a shirt kind of deal. I'm trying to do this much better. I'm going to be going, uh, with, with a pretty well-established company. I'm going to be setting up all my store stuff on my own. I'm going to have to do some coding, 
which isn't really that hard because I won't actually be coding shit. Somebody else will have already coded something 16 fucking years ago and I'll just be copy pasting it onto my site and then it will automatically work because that's that's the real the real truth of programming. If people don't know it, you almost never program anything yourself unless you're unless you're a fucking a code writer. Half the time you're just copying script from somebody else and plugging it into your thing and then making changes to a few variables. Or so I've been told um, because actual coding is really fucking hard and it's exhausting. It's something that if you're good at it and you like doing it, absolutely do it because people will pay you to do it for them because they don't want to. <laughs> C++, man, I tried HTML back when I was in college. I tried to teach myself HTML because I figured I would need to know how to use it. And I do, and I, I, I can't. It's, fucking, it's way too fucking hard. <laughs> I'm dumb as shit. But anyhow, all of that aside, uh, merch merch is for sure coming. We're going to start with some probably some like logo T-shirts type deals, maybe a few coffee mug type things. Um, but the place that I'm going with, you can you can make a lot of different options available. And uh, we're going to be fucking with that. We're going to be doing that shit. And hopefully, hopefully it all it all works really well, and uh, everybody gets stuff. Um, what I'm actually most excited about is we're going to be able to sell posters, which is, I think, pretty cool considering the 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 art section that we have with the podcast. Um, I actually want it to be, I want it to, the the store, the merch store on my site to be more than just like some stupid shit. I want there to be like variety more than just like, hey, you can get the baby doll tea or throw you around you can also get the men's tea <laughs> in three different sizes uh no, no we're gonna have we're gonna have all kinds of, of stuff there um and i'm making promises i will deliver no 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 doubt about that anybody that's still with me after 16 minutes of me rambling uh if you if you haven't been here for the rambles they 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 do start um, onto, onto our first, our first thing, which is something I've actually really wanted to be talking about for a while. Um, this, this month's recommendation is The Thing, uh, the 1982 movie by John Carpenter, my favorite creature movie ever. Um, it is my favorite horror movie tied for first place with, uh, Jacob's Ladder. Uh, which both of them have like really incredible uh, practical effects that don't that aren't like really obtrusive and very very like very not big even though uh, even in the thing you feel like the scale of of the monster is huge but it, when you really look at it, it it almost never it's kind of a tiny thing uh, well and you know people size stuff but um if if you don't know anything about the thing it was Released in 1982, it had a 15 million dollar budget and uh, was considered a flop at the time. Uh, I think it made 19 million ish uh, dollars in the box office. Which, if you guys don't know the the, the breakdown, movies basically need to make twice their budget um, to be considered a success. Uh, it's not even a, that's that's really not a true flop because at least it made its production budget back. But usually. They spend as much on production as they do on marketing. Um, it's kind of like a rule of thumb, although it's not always the case. Anybody that's seen one of those movies that comes out and you never heard a fucking thing about it, that's that's the uh, that's the movie they didn't spend any marketing money on. So, and also uh, usually the the box office sales are something of an indicator of home sales. Uh, at the time, I don't think there was much in the way of home video. Uh, Nineteen eighty two. 
<sighs> if I remember my history right, you're basically right at the advent of like Betamax and video cassette recorders are just a little bit after that. So basically, when when something's in a movie theater, um, in those '80s, '70s, and stuff, uh, unless you're a fairly wealthy person, you're not going to be seeing that movie again once it's out of theaters. Uh, and you know, uh, the theaters very much the same thing. The the retails I was talking about before, it's it's all speculation. You know what I mean? Uh, you're gonna you're gonna show what you think people are gonna come in, see, and spend money on popcorn and stuff. The uh, the theaters actually, uh, if I if I remember correctly, I could be wrong about this. I've done no research, but theaters really don't make a lot of money off of the uh, the the things that are being played themselves. Uh, most of their money actually comes from jacked up food and concession prices uh, to keep stuff going. Which, if you think about it. That actually kind of makes sense, despite the size of movie theaters and stuff. They really have a pretty low operating overhead. The movies pay for themselves, functionally speaking, because they want they want to have those movies placed. They don't have to really rent the movie because the ticket money is going to the people that actually own the rights to the movie that are distributing it and stuff. The, the distributors pay for the distribution. They make all the copies and stuff. All you're getting at a movie theater. Um, really is just the cost of running the projector and cleaning the place and then everything else, you know, jacked up soda prices and stuff, concessions. That, that's how you make your money. So you're actually, when you go to a movie theater, you're, you're actually going to a terrible restaurant with awful overpriced food so that you can watch a movie at that restaurant. If you technically speaking, I guess. Um, but uh, in, in the case of the thing, it, it had a short run. It was considered a flop. And uh, most of that's because uh, America's in a recession. Um, if I remember correctly, the 1982 recession, I've, I've, I've lived, apparently I've lived through like fucking four recessions now at, at 30 to the point every single one of the recessions is like, this is the best, worst recession since the great depression. Um, I think the worst one I survived is the, the, the great recession of the 07 to 09 era. Uh, the housing collapse is how normally people call it, but people are trying to call it the great recession, which doesn't have it doesn't have uh, the, the ring that the Great Depression have. It's it's like America just walked down into cold water real fast and got it on its balls and had the Great Recession <laughs> sucked up in there. Drop them on his butt, they'll pop back out. Um, oh God! If you guys don't know anything about receded testicles, uh, because you're 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 a lady, I've I've seen it happen before. Kids can get hit in the nads and their balls go up into their uh, body cavities and then you have to like have them cross their legs and you drop them on their butt from like a foot and a half off the ground and it pops them back out and if it doesn't it, it hurts really bad like it hurts terribly terribly bad it's never happened to me thank god um but that's always that's always there's always a thing we talked about in school and then once you graduate school no one ever talks about it again just like getting the breath knocked out of you no one ever gets the breath knocked out of them anymore i, I guess it's because everybody i know doesn't play on swing sets but I just remember that was a thing. Uh, it happened to me like five or six times. I think the first time it ever happened to me, I thought I was dying. Uh, I, I was, I was as all as all true children do. I was misusing a slide, <laughs> climbing up it instead of sliding down it, and I fell off the side of it and landed flat on my back. And I literally lost all of the air in my lungs and just sat there panicking, dying for like five minutes. It felt like it was probably ten seconds, and everyone's like, "Oh, he got the breath knocked out of him." It's classic childhood shit, man. You don't hear about that anymore. But, uh, I mean, I suppose it has to happen to somebody. <laughs> but anyway, um, 
the movie came out in, in, in you know, the early 1980s, and there was a, a recession going on. And when recessions going on, especially back in the day, uh, people that, the really like, I just want to turn my brain off and watch something was very much the case with media back then. Although, although the things were sort of changing and there was, there was some like really cool, um, avant-garde stuff that kind of was becoming more available in the popular world. But like there wasn't the internet and stuff. And so like, if you had time for entertainment, you couldn't really pick between a lot of things. You had to go for one thing and, People went to go and have an enjoyable creature movie, and they saw one of the best creature movies ever made. But it's the same year that like ET came out, <laughs> so people wanted to go see ET and and forget about all of the the fucking breadlines and folks losing their jobs. And instead, they saw a movie um, about paranoid Americans in a desolate landscape um, being being killed and consumed by this uh, by this secret monster. And so that maybe that reminder that struck a little too close to home Uh, and it was too miserable and people just didn't like it. It was panned by critics uh, who um, who who didn't like that. It wasn't based on it wasn't basically it wasn't a remake. It it was a remake. Um, The the original story that it's based on is called uh, Who Goes There? It's a 19. 1938 sorry novella by john w campbell and um the the original novel is fairly similar to the end product that we got with this movie however the thing from another world uh which everybody's probably heard before um the thing from another world was the original movie movie adaptation of the of the 1938 novel which was a just a corny 50s era silver screen horror movie uh a goofball thing from what i understand i've never seen it i don't really care to uh i would at best only be comparing it to one of the best fucking horror movies ever made um you know maybe i will but i I, i've never seen it available for free streaming and i'm I'm not gonna fucking pay to see it i I hate i hate those old silver screen horror movies i have no i have no love in my heart for them i didn't grow up with them like uh um, they, they, there's, there's sort of a nostalgia for that time, uh, that got impressed upon me growing up. I was born in the eighties, uh, and kind of grew up in the nineties. And if you don't know that, that much about that time, there was a sort of, uh, nostalgia for the 1950s that was fucking awful and overpowering and stuff. I think it's a lot of the reason why Stephen King got so big is everything that he writes or wrote basically is kind of a, a throwback to the 1950s and 1960s and in the 90s and 80s eight late 80s and early 90s especially there's a really really strong like drive-in movies cadillacs with flared fenders kind of you know chrome and red paint uh and that aesthetic was kind of big and you know people had this uh this sort of love of those old cheesy uh, thing from another world. Yeah, what's going to have these teenagers are in some trouble, Barry? And I like, I've seen those movies, and they do nothing for me. Like that's not the kind of horror I grew up with. You know what I mean? So, I understand people that are older than me, um, or that you know sometimes folks just have like a love for that era. I have none in my heart. My shit is uh, my shit slasher movies. And weird, uh, weird body horror shit because that's that's what I grew up with. My horror, 
was not driving movies horror or even like exploitation stuff. It was like anything that would show up on the sci-fi channel when I was like 12 and anything that I could kind of like sneak and look at and listen to from my room uh, when my parents would get scary movies and send me to bed early. <laughs> Uh, which I, I think is really like one of my first approaches to to being a horror writer was just trying to imagine what all these awful sounds that I could hear through the door, uh, what, what those were. I feel like if they would have let me watch the movies, they would have been less traumatizing to me than me sitting in my room alone in the dark, listening to like just the distant, like high violin, the just, you know, terrifying scores and like the occasional scream and then like some sort of crunching, chewing noise. I'm like, what could be making that? And then boiling off in, in young Tyler's brain was that thing. But uh, people in the 90s or 80s, I guess, too, in the 80s, it was especially, especially fucking bad. The uh, the 50s nostalgia. Um but they they wanted to, they wanted that corny ass fucking thing from another world movie to come back uh, because they I guess they thought that that's what it was going to be. E. T. was out and fucking Close Encounters of the Third Kind. Everybody wanted to believe that aliens were kind of cool and a, and a good thing. Uh, and the thing was sort of like the first um, walk out into uh, aliens or trash. I don't know. I, I really don't know if that's that's necessarily the case, but it's definitely from that era. And then after that, you have uh, just worse and worse movies with aliens. You get Predator, uh, which is weirdly similar. The actual the intro of The Thing and of The Predator is f- almost exactly the same. There's a sort of distant shot of Earth as a smallish, like, I mean, to a third of the screen at the bottom right, and then there's just like a little spaceship. In Predator, it's just it's landing, obviously, and then in The Thing, it's like wiggling because it's damaged. Um. But they didn't like it. They didn't. They didn't like it at all. They panned it, um, and it, it, was, it was considered a flop. And almost fucked up John Carpenter's career. But he 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 made it through. Um, the movie earned yeah nineteen point six. It stars uh, Kurt Russell as McCready, Keith David as Childs, Wilford Brimley's in it. Um, the, the cast is is stunning and like really, uh, the cast is this movie. Um. And if if they would have miscast anybody, it would have been awful. There's there's some weird. Jay Leno was almost in this film as uh, one of the sort of comedic characters, which had been just absurd. Jay Leno's uh, acting career was short and uh, terrible, but <laughs> he's really. Uh, there's one movie where I think it's him and like an old lady, uh, and he's like a, a fucking police officer, and they're trying to solve something. Or maybe that's that's Sly Stallone, but. The movie follows uh, basically uh, McCready's character, or McCready, uh, Kurt Russell's character is the main, the main character. Everybody else is, they're, they're all on this Arctic, at this Arctic research station, which is a very like Lovecraftian kind of feel. It's this, uh, you know, research, these scientists out in, a, in, a, in an inhospitable area. And I think the winter storms are about to start blowing in. So they're going to be completely cut off from, from civilization. A dog runs into the camp, chased by some crazy ass Norwegians shooting it uh, from the from the helicopter and trying to throw death charge explosives onto the dog to kill it. And it just it makes it out. And, and from here on out, by the way, folks, it's spoilers. It's spoiler city. I would be talking about the the movie fairly in depth. Um, 
And yeah, the, the literally what the Norwegians are yelling. If you speak, if you speak Norwegian or Swedish, I think it's Norwegian. Um, I don't think they're Swedes. Uh, what they're screaming is, "Hey, hey, watch out! It's not a dog. It's a thing." <laughs> so they ruined the movie right there for you. If you if you're bilingual, but fortunately, it was released to American audiences, and we can barely fucking speak enough Spanish to get by in Puerto Rico. Uh, really just barely enough English to get by on our taxes. So, you know, you know, not, not a lot of worry about that. Although I'm, I'm pretty sure the foreign audiences, uh, might've, might've, might've been a little miffed. <laughs> it might've changed the entire feel of it, but, but I've known that the thing was a thing. I've seen that movie 80 times. It still has never ruined anything for me. From there, they find that the, the dog, uh, doesn't get along well with the other dogs. They put it in the kennel. Uh, they have, they have like little sled dogs. That's what they're there for. The Huskies. And, um, then uh, then the, the dog morphs, it kills a bunch of the other dogs and infects one of the other people. And um, they get to see, you get to see one of the other guys that's infected uh, before the change gets finished. So like even a small cell from this thing can turn you into one of the things, which is such a fucking horrifying, uh, that's a, that's a high, high value, high risk uh kind of what do you what do we call it mechanism for your for your horror monster to do you know normally it's you know something that's close enough to me it's got sharp stuff it'll disassemble my body until all of my blood leaks out of it my brain will cease functioning and i have died as opposed to this thing which which literally becomes other people with just even a slight bit of infection uh and and it all becomes you know part of this this much larger organism that can separate and think for itself but always is is trying to combine into a much larger uh, uh, superstructure, and it's it's really a movie about paranoia and trust and mind games that you can play, and it's it's a fucking it's just a fucking blast, and it has one of the best scenes, which is actually in the original novel, and it's what um, convinced writer Bill Lancaster, uh, whose notable credits include the Bad News Bears and uh, working on the first draft of Stephen King's Firestarter, with uh, which is also another Carpenter film. Uh, I think I can't remember if Carpenter ended up making it, but he did work on it. Um, it that's that, 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 the, the test, the blood test scene, which is like one of the most legendary scenes, uh, in, in any horror movie. I, I really can't think of one that, that really super tops it. Maybe just like the blood coming out of the elevator and the shining, uh, Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. But even that's just, that's really just an image as far as scenes go, man, 
So if you don't understand, if you, if you haven't seen it, so what's going on is they find out that the, the thing's parts are all still individual organisms. You know, you're not, they're not made of disparate parts like we are. You know, they're not bones and blood and muscle, which separated from the organism is, is, is no longer functional. They, they, they still remember, remain their own selfish little creature. And so they take blood from everybody and they heat up wires like a little coil of wire with a flamethrower, and they put it in the blood, and it makes a really awful hissing noise. And then you go to the next, and they untie that guy, and you get the first three or four dudes, and they get out. And then they finally put it in the one that's the monster, and it's... And it it pops up this big explosive thing, and the actual monster that they took it from he's one of the guys he looks just like a normal person he starts freaking out and and then uh kills the dude that's next to him oh, it's fucking it's a fucking blast dude because it it's such a good the reason it works and the reason why the movie is so good is it does stuff like that several different times where you 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 get the tension is building, but it's never like. It's never high tension. It's never like extraordinary, you know, uh, where it's a, a hair's breadth away from death at any second. You're like, ooh, on the edge of your seat. You're really just like very calm and into it. So, so you actually feel like you're kind of left off the hook for a second, which catches you much more unaware than being extraordinarily tense the entire time. So like there's one part where they're trying to uh, resuscitate somebody who seems to have died or is, is, is facing heart failure and he's got, his, he's got the two defibrillator paddles over the chest and pushes him in and the thing's chest opens up into a big fucking mouth and bites on his arms, which is such a good, it's a great effect. It looks good to this day, by the way. And I cannot imagine being in the theater with these fucking 1982 people seeing shit like this for the first time and being like, I don't even know how to fucking comprehend this. It, it actually might have just scared motherfuckers so bad they didn't know what to do. They're like, that's gross. That's horrifying. I don't know how to, I don't know how to fucking, how to deal with this. And really in that way, the entire movie is just completely, completely ahead of its time and just so so amazing like i cannot recommend it enough i get to see, i get excited talking about it i do not get excited talking about a lot of other things but that fucking movie is so good start to finish it really is keith david's in it he plays the character childs um who's i can't remember what childs does he's just one of the other guys on the research station uh all the jobs are pretty pretty vague um it, it's not like uh in bad screenwriting uh and people are like they are their job like mccready is the, the only kind of person that's really like he is his job he's like the aloof drunk helicopter pilot um and he plays chess i think i think actually what it might have been kurt russell uh agreed to the script when he read it and it was uh the, the note in the script for who mccready is as a character and they don't have last names everybody's name is just their name, just one name, Childs, McCready, Windows. Uh, and and the, the script notes were just helicopter pilot drinks plays chess. <laughs> if you know anything about Kurt Russell, that's such a perfect casting for him. That is like half of the characters he's ever played. It might as well just be Iroquois Pliskin too. Um, he does Escape from New York, which is another great, another just a great, great uh, movie. But I, I, I digress. 
Um, Childs is played by Keith David, who's one of my favorite actors, and he's just criminally underused in stuff. Uh, he's, he's got the best voice. I can't even do it. Um, one of my favorite line reads in, in American cinema is him in, uh, what is that called? Requiem for a Dream, where he says, <laughs> he just says this girl, he's, he's basically uh, turning a girl into a, a, to a smack whore for heroin, and he just starts calling her Maid Marian. <laughs> Ah, uh, Maid Marian. I can't, his voice is fucking butter, dude. I can't do it. But um, the, those two are the last ones to survive to the end of the film. And at the end of the film, it's it's very vague. And there was multiple endings written for it. Um, I can't remember exactly how Who Goes There ended. Um, I, I think it's a fairly pessimistic ending. As is, as is this one. Um, the, the ending that is finally selected on, uh, which is one of the best endings in cinema too, especially for horror movies is not, uh, it's not a victorious ending. Uh, McCready blows up the creature, the larger it, it, it builds itself together. They find out that one of the guys played by Wilford Brimley, who is, uh, the diabetes guy who actually gets like locked in a, a shed in act one and forgotten about functionally speaking until the very final a uh, bit of the movie, they find out that he is one of the things, and he's been building a little tiny spaceship underneath his underneath his house, and infested some ice caves that are beneath it, uh, and a gigantic thing. It's got a big fucking split open dog head. It looks just amazing. It's a wall of flesh just moving. McCready blows it up with some dynamite. During the the fracas, he's separated from Childs, who is off screen until they are they are together uh, next to the burning remnants of the camp. Um, there is, it's very implicitly clear that there are no more supplies. There's no shelter. Um, he's created a situation where no matter what, anybody that's alive there is going to freeze to death there or burn to death or whatever, including the creature. So they are together and ha- they have a bottle of scotch, right? Two bottles of scotch. And they've been making Molotovs. This is one of the things is they've been making Molotovs uh, with these to throw at the creature before Molotov cocktails. If you don't know, that's a, just petrol and maybe some other stuff mixed in together uh, in a um, in a bottle with a, a little wick tied onto the top. You light it and you throw it. It blows up and it's a little firebomb. So uh, he's sitting there with a bottle of scotch and uh, Childs comes up and the, the end of it, he's like, are you one of the things kind of deal? And he goes, yeah, if I am... There's not much we can do about it. And they say, yeah, and they kind of share a drink. And you don't know if maybe McCready has gotten infected or if Childs was infected. And he's like, you know, kind of like, where were you? He's like, where were you? <laughs> and it's the the paranoia never ends. And there is no there is no easy out at the end of it. it it's so good. Um, and that's the that's that's the, the taken ending. Uh, there are no alternate ending takes or anything. It's not like fucking Blade Runner. Um, but there are some allusions made that the bottle that he hands Childs, that McCready hands Childs, is actually one of the Molotovs. So it's full of, it's full of gasoline and the creature wouldn't know that. And it's just drinking gasoline instead of scotch, but it's fine. And so McCready knows like, fuck, it's one of the things. Um, but that's not, that's, that, that's always just been people's like kind of sort of head cannon type deal. It's not a big it's not a big uh, smoking gun in the in the in the film, but I, I like it. The other versions of the ending, I think the original ending that they wrote for it was uh, the thing infects both McCready and Childs and waits there until the helicopters come in the spring to uh, take them back. 
and like the end line is, can we go somewhere warm for a bite to eat? And something, something along those lines, which everyone's like, ah, it's fine, it's too corny. And there are other less ambiguous endings, um, but they finally, they finally ended with the ambiguousness. One of the best endings to a horror film, to any any film really, um, that I've ever seen. It, it, it's, it's, it's just wonderful. <laughs> I don't know how to, I don't know how to, I don't know how to say that better. Um. But uh, but that is that is that is the thing, and it's it's by far by far one of my my favorite movies. And if you haven't seen it, um, my spoilers would not have ruined it for you. Literally, um, even if you know everything that's going to happen, I haven't I haven't uh actually ruined anything for you too because I haven't I haven't ruined all of the all of the twists and spoilers. And it, it I've watched that movie fifteen twenty fucking times in a row. Uh, and I'm still noticing stuff and I still, I stumble upon, uh, things online that teach me new stuff about the movie. And it, it, it's just amazing. And if you, if you get a second, you should go and check it out. Our literature recommendation for July was Jeanette Wall's 2004 novel, The Glass Castle, which is uh, a beautiful, it's a beautiful little memoir. Um, it's most notable really for being one of the few very good memoirs, I think, at all, uh, set in West Virginia. The the movie or not sorry, well, there is a movie that is based on but or that's based on the book, but completely it's just ignore it. Uh, <laughs> uh the the book actually starts uh follows Jeanette Walls as a as a child from um her childhood in Nevada, uh, Battle Creek, Arizona, or something like that. Um, and it's about her. And the real, the real antagonist slash other main character of the book is her father, Rex, and then also her mother, Mary Rosemary. Uh, and it's two words, Rosemary, not Rosemary, Rosemary, Rosemary. So I, I hate it. <laughs> Fuck, I, I hate that name. Um, as a child, uh, we, we follow her through a lot of the American Southwest. They live in the desert. They live in, in, in extraordinary poverty. Um, and she is, I think, the middle of four kids, uh, the middle older of four kids. There's her, her sister Lori, their brother Brian, and the youngest is uh, daughter Maureen. And, and, and it's kind of a fun, sad uh, book from start to finish when when. The, the the main problem the real the real true conflict in the book is uh is that Ray and Rosemary are, are, are terrible parents <laughs> uh Rex I mean Rex is a, a pretty unrepentant drunk um while in the beginning of the book he is kind of a fun guy um he you you get the the, the impression from stories that are told about him that he's actually kind of a a, a brilliant person he's he's got an engineering degree or something of that degree um to that degree all right okay sorry <laughs> he's got an engineering degree uh but he's he's wasted most of his life on uh on 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 quick get rich quick screen quick get rich quick schemes um and 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 trying to kind of rest on his laurels even though he doesn't have laurels to really rest on and he's he's very much a a, a full on full blown fucking like stage three alcoholic he's a, a bad person but his kids love him his wife is unfailingly supportive of him for dubious reasons at best I would say um and from Jeanette as a kid you get to see her grow up really just believing in him because she's he's her dad. 
uh, all the way to becoming disillusioned with him, really starting to hate him, and then finally forgiving him towards the end. And it's a, it's a, it the the the, the real character arc in the sh- the 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 show um, or the the book is is her relationship with her father. Jeanette as a person never really uh, changes that much outside of the normal typical change from from childhood to adulthood and really just kind of starting to see through the bullshit. But uh, most of the book takes, and, and particularly the most formative scenes of the book, take place in Welch, Welch West Virginia, which is a real town uh, that I have been to and that I, I base uh, certain areas in my own novels and, and short stories on. Uh, most notably, uh, which, which one would be Welch? Probably Blunt, Blunt West Virginia's. No. Blunt's War. Yeah. Welch is a really cool place. Uh, there used to be a Coors uh, production facility there, and then that shut down and pretty much killed Welch. Um, the whole place sort of fell apart. And it's it's a very prototypical West Virginia town, which means it's like a town you've never seen before in your fucking life if you've never been into the mountains. Uh, to get to it, you basically drive through utter mountainous Black Hills fucking wilderness, Appalachian chaos. Uh, and then the abandoned homes that are on the side of the road start being less and less abandoned until all of a sudden you're like, am I getting, am I approaching a town? And then you're on the main drag in Welch. <laughs> like, and it's, it's, it's just nestled in the middle of these like four or five hills and, and spreads up onto the sides of them. Um, and it's on the sides of one of those hills that uh, Jeanette Wall's family built a home and actually did not build a home. Uh, it sort of infested and already rotting uh, sort of lean to structure. The the name of the book itself, The Glass Castle, comes from a plan uh, outlined by Rex uh, to build his home. He's got all these blueprints and stuff. He's going to build his ultimate home uh, for his family to live in called The Glass Castle. Uh, he gets as far as digging a, a gigantic trash pit <laughs> and, and and never, never, never an ounce closer to it. Uh, once they get to Welsh, their lives really fall apart in earnest. Um, and while they're still in the American Southwest, you, you get a feeling that there's kind of like hope for the family. Despite some of the stuff that they go through because of Jeanette's narration, because at the time as a kid, she felt more like, Maybe mom and dad will pull this around and like dad, he, he, he actually, one of the formative scenes, uh, in the early parts is she, she, uh, it's her birthday and he doesn't gotten, gotten her a gift. So he takes her out into the desert where there's all kinds of stars. I've never been out into the American desert or any desert really. Uh, the stars are fucking incredible. Uh, it's, it's everywhere. Um, you can see everything and he points out Venus and he gives her Venus as a, uh, as a birthday gift. Uh, which I don't think I don't think you anybody can do, but it's kind of a that that's that feeling is kind of throughout the you know he does grand gestures and these big beautiful things, but they're ultimately very hollow uh, and empty because where he should really be providing, he's not. And when they're in Welch, they're they're true white trash, true hill trash, uh, living hand to mouth, dumpster scavenging. Uh, mom gets a job and dad steals the money so that he can go drink. He does pool hall scams. Uh, Jeanette is almost as a, as a child, I think she's like 12 to four, between 12 and 14 years old. Um, she's like his backup during a, a pool scam and actually almost gets sexually assaulted. She get, she does get sexually assaulted. She almost gets fully raped 
by a man um, who's who's sort of you know getting getting scammed in this case. And her dad, I think her dad doesn't even bail her out. I think she bails herself out. He he just let, leaves on her. So he's a piece of shit. Um, and and basically the whole the 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 audience relationship to the book the entire time is realizing in the first few chapters that dad's a piece of shit, and then kind of being almost like screaming at the book in the last thirds of it. Uh, just being like, he is a piece of shit. Do not forgive him. Leave. Fucking leave. <laughs> like, seriously, almost just screaming at it. Um, but, and, and eventually she does. Uh, there's a, uh, there's a time where they actually save up money to go to New York. Her and her older sister, Lori. Um, cause they, they stayed there for a while with their grandmother and their grandmother, uh, they caught her molesting their younger brother, Brian. Um, and then they got kicked out of that house and they're like, Oh, dad probably got molested too. That's, that's not good. Um, so, you know, there, there is no family for them. And so they eventually realize that their mom's a piece of shit too. There's actually a horrible scene where they, uh, they save up money, I, I think, and they buy themselves a chocolate bar. And they're starving or their mom has actually spent their money on a chocolate bar and they're starving and they're like, can we have some of the chocolate bar? And she eats it in front of them. It doesn't give them a fucking doesn't give them a bit, which is you're a bad mother. You're a terrible mother. (laughs) What the fuck? Uh, But they save up money to go to New York and dad steals it and drinks it away, which is, you know, I think kind of like the real last straw with them. They're like, you know, no more. We can't forgive you anymore. And then all kinds of other little things um happen it, it it's really just uh just a, a hundred vignettes of life in west virginia and life growing up poor and life growing up near addicts that if especially if you if you've come into contact with that world or if you if you had to live in it um you'll really see you'll really see a lot of things that you're familiar with if not comfortable with very much familiar with um which i'm going to get back to but uh, after after she goes to New York is p- pretty much the end of the story. Her dad dies. Uh, eventually, mom and dad move to New York too, so they can try to sponge off their kids. It gets to a point where none of the kids will let them even into their apartments, and so they end up living homelessly and homeless in, in Central Park, and then also in derelict uh, houses down on. I, I think this is the 1980s, so it would probably be in a probably the Village, uh, Greenwich Village, and stuff. I think they had a bunch of. Uh, abandoned like factories and warehouses and stuff on that side of Manhattan Island uh, back then, and, and people would squat in them. As I recall, I think that's one of the places where the dude from Rent is squatting. Uh, the writer is uh, burning his stuff. He's squatting in one of those things while he's trying to write his little play. That was so dismissive. His his very wonderful play. Um, in in real life, that that did happen. Uh. Lori, the older sister, pretty much went to New York first before any of them. And there was kind of a feeling of abandonment, but she eventually was like, all right, I'm settled now. I don't have to deal with y'all shit. Like, Jeanette, you come and live with me. Uh, Lori actually became an artist and worked on Archie Comics, which is pretty fucking cool. Um, And then uh, Jeanette came up. She ended up going, I think she went to, uh, what's that nice college that's up there? Columbia. I think she went to Columbia or whatever it is. Uh, she ended up becoming a gossip columnist of sorts. She worked at a bunch of New York City publications, including Phoenix, I believe, uh, and ended up most notably becoming a gossip columnist for uh, MSNBC. And, and she did a lot of that column writing. 
which is why they call her a journalist, even though I don't really consider gossip columns <laughs> high journalism, but uh, to each his own. I'm, re- I'm really glad she made it out of there doing, doing whatever. And then um, that was mostly through the 80s uh, and 90s and then into the early 2000s when she finally got that MSNBC job and, and became a, a fairly well-respected person in her own right. And then she wrote The Glass Castle, I believe, shortly... Shortly after her father died in real life, um, or maybe maybe like a, a little while, shortly in the in the span of a, of life, so you know five or six years, but uh, I can't really remember much of the timeline. You should really read the book, but um, a thing that really stands out to me is uh, the 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 pit where the glass castle is supposed to grow. So I'm gonna tell a story. This actually happened in this my own real life. Um, there was a kid that lived up the street from me. I cannot remember his name to this day. We'll say it's Dave. And um, I ran into him the same way you run into any other kid and start becoming like friends when you're eight, nine years old, which is what we were at the time. Uh, he lived in one of those houses that smells bad from the outside. It, you, if, you, if you don't know what that's like, I mean, I grew up on the west side of Cincinnati. It's like the standard boxy story and a half house with a basement and sometimes you this is one of those houses and i i started getting a feel for him when i was a kid because you can smell the inside of the house before you get up to it. it's not like trash but it's that it, it it just smells like sweat and wet and people and you can smell it right on the other side of the door and you know when you go inside that it's going to be one of those places where you're like i'm really uncomfortable how bad this smells and then you'll get used to it and then once you get back outside the air feels cooler even if it's the muggiest July day, the air feels cooler and fresher and like lighter when you breathe it. It's that kind of house. But uh, I think we played some stupid fucking runaround game, tag, some shit like that, you know. And uh, I would I would start going up there because he had an original Nintendo. I had a Nintendo 64, or not Nintendo 64, Super Nintendo Entertainment System. This would have been, if I was seven, eight years old, this would have been 94, 95, uh, mid-90s. And I would go up there and I'd play his, I'd play his Nintendo. But hey, man, you want to go play Nintendo? Like, I love because he had Mega Man. Mega Man X is my favorite video game pretty much ever. It's like one of the first video games I ever had, and I loved it. He would play. He had the original Mega Man, Mega Man 1, 2, and 3, which is actually Mega Man on the front cover. Uh, and he's not a robot like the traditional Japanese anime-style drawing of him that exists now everywhere. It's like a He's like a middle-aged white guy with a stupid blue Tron helmet on and like a little gun. Um, but yeah, that was, the, that was the, the Mega Man game. We would go and play it. And in his house of, in his house of bad smells and dark curtains, uh, he had those cloth – I mean cloth doesn't really make sense – the curtains were those kind of curtains that I don't see anymore that are on these steel runners at the top and they shh, shh, back and forth open. And the fabric that makes them is that same sort of knit fabric that's on those terribly uncomfortable couches that people thankfully stopped making in the late 90s. You know, it's like orange, uh, like orange rope over like a or yellowish gold rope over like an orange, uh, almost like a like a corduroy type fabric. And he had those, and they'd always be orange because his grandma would stay in their living room, which is cluttered, uh, you know, a wire leg TV tables with, like, Formica tops and uh, it, the couch that's always got, like, three fucking full laundry baskets on it that all smell, like, real sweaty. And his dad would sit in the easy chair, and I think grandma was in some sort of fucking, like, automatic or semi-automatic uh, wheelchair-type deal, and she had tubes in her. 
Um, I think mostly for breathing. I think she had like a big oxygen tank or something like that. And I didn't know it at the time, but now looking back on it, I was like, okay, dad drank. So, you know, we would, uh, we would kind of hang out and we weren't like great friends. I think the entirety of this story takes place over maybe like maybe a month, but you know, in kid times, it feels like a fucking year, but it was definitely not even outside of that same, that same season. His dad in, in the backyard, one of the first times I ever hung out with them, uh, he was building a frame because he wanted to have a treehouse. I was like, oh, I have a treehouse too. My dad built it for me. And the guy's like, nice. So he's nailing together the, the bottom frame for, for a treehouse, which if you don't know what a frame looks like, it's just basically a, imagine a big square that's about 10 by 10 feet. Uh, and then inside you have joists that go up and down. So it's kind of like, like, uh, like a little cage door. And it was up against the side of their detached garage in the backyard, and you could see it from the sidewalk if you knew where to look. And when you build something like that, when you first build it, all the, all the boards are gold, you know, because that's just the wood, the color that wood is. It's always kind of shiny. It's real fresh and new. And so that was there, and they, they, he had built that frame one of the first times I ever hung out with that kid and leaned it up against the side, and they were going to put it in the tree. They had like a sort of, I don't know, maple tree or something like that that was right next to the garage, and they were going to hang it up in there. And so, you know, I would go over to this kid's house and hang out and stuff. And he, the kid was always kind of weird, a little dirty, always wearing like a white T-shirt, you know, like, like an undershirt instead of like a shirt shirt. And so we went into his room one time and we were playing games. And then he got called out. And I was just not even paying attention. I was like, okay, I'll just play my game. Because to get into that room, you had to go through the entire house. And then that room was actually in the front part of the house next to the front door but you had to go through a bunch of fucking rooms to get into it and he's gone for a little while and then when he comes back in he's like sort of like sniffling and he comes up to me goes like why were you looking at my grandma and I said what and then he hit me and I was like what the fuck like he slapped me in the face he goes why are you looking at my grandma and laughing at her I was like I didn't fucking look at your grandma and laugh at her and like little kid words so I was like I didn't do that what are you talking about I was like get out of my house you can't laugh at my grandma like that. I swear to God, I didn't laugh at his grandma or so much as look at her because she was fucking horrifying to me. She's a crazy, like, crippled old silent crone. Like I would say like, hi, you know, like a little kid does. I, I surely wasn't pausing in that foul smelling living room to look at that old woman and laugh at her on my way to Nintendo. Um, and so I left. I left the house and never hung out with that kid again. And I, I really never saw him. Um, to this day, looking back on it, that kid was almost never outside of that house. He, he kind of like was relegated to the inside of that, that bedroom. And his bedroom was very, very tiny, dark too. Curtains were always up. Curtains were always over every window in that house. I don't, I don't know why. It might have been one of those, uh, you know, poor white trash ways of conserving fucking air conditioning. You cover up everything so the greenhouse effect can't get in your house. Uh, his bed was on the floor. And that's where we would sit on the bed on the floor. And then he had a little tiny, like 12-inch screen tube tv on one of them fucking formica and wireframe tv stand deals and then his 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 games were on the ground underneath that and everything else was just you know strewn around clothes and stuff and so you know i would go past that i had other friends that were on the block too and i never introduced them to them even though his house was closer to theirs than mine he was only three down from kevin stapleton and one across and two down from john williams who i used to hang out with back in the day friends until friends until puberty and then forgotten entirely type deal. Um, 
but I would walk past that house and I'd try to look out for him just because I, you know, see him. And maybe like one day, like just say like, hey, man, I, I didn't I didn't mean to do that because, you know, it, it very clearly he had gone into that other room and been hit by his dad, who I think glared at me as I left the house. Uh, but I, I never saw the kid outside. I never saw him. I'd like to think that he got out, you know, somehow and 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 was taken somewhere else. But every time I would walk by that house, I would see the frame that his dad had built leaning up against the garage still. And they never added another single piece to that. And every year it got a little greener and a little greener with mold. And then the the summer would come and dry it out and twist it until I remember seeing it. And there was just like this blackened, twisted, you know, mostly rotten hunks of wood to the point where the, the wood had shrank away from the nails and you could see the, the little lines of the nails rusted in place between the boards. And then I, I, that was, that would have been when I was like 12 ish. And I stopped having to walk that direction to go to, uh, to go to middle school. And, and it didn't even dawn on to me until I, right around when I was graduating uh, high school. Cause I had to, to go to high school, I had to walk the other direction. I would have never looked in his backyard to go over there and look in the backyard and it was gone. And I guess maybe another family lived there or something. But I think about that fucking frame for that treehouse. And it's like I literally watched a kid's childhood die and then rot and then vanish like it never was. Because his dad was a drunk dick. Um, and that's pretty much it. That's pretty much the entirety of the story. Uh, there, there's not much to learn there except for, you know, if you, if you, if you threaten to build your kid a treehouse, you better fucking do it. Cause God only knows what kind of damage you're doing to him. If you're the kind of person that won't finish that shit. And I've always, I've always hated people really deeply hated people that don't finish stuff that they start for that reason, especially stuff that they start for other people. It like, it gets into me, it crawls around the same way that that, the memory of that fucking, that fucking treehouse base does. And so that's what the that's what the uh, that's what the glass castle reminded me of with that big pit, um, yeah. And that that's that's pretty much it. I, we got a little dark there at the end, but um, I don't know. It, it's a story I like telling uh, on occasion because, like all painful things, it's much less painful the second time around. Because you you either build up scar tissue or you kill off nerve cells, and then you're, you you feel a little stronger because you, you tank that second hit. But anyway, folks, that's pretty much the end of the West Side Fairy Tales Horror and Lit Club episode for July of 2019. I hope you enjoyed the mild amounts of rambling. I hope you learned something. I hope, you, I hope you're interested in going out and checking some stuff out. Definitely subscribe to Shudder. They're not. I'm going to fucking fight tooth and nail. I'm going to beg Audio Boom to get them on as, as sponsors just so I can maybe get a free subscription. Because, uh, uh, dude, Shudder is the shit. Go check out Shudder. You can't really be a true horror fan and not subscribe to that service. If you do, there's so many good movies that are there. Uh, and if you go that way, check out Joe Bob's Last Drive-In. He's the fucking, he's the man. Uh, his interruptions are are very, very entertaining. <laughs> and there's a lot of good movies there. Uh, and I'll be mentioning some of them, uh, some of them next season. Um, if you guys stick around, next season starts October fourth, I think it is. Between then, we should have some sort of announcement in the way of uh, of merch coming out. It's actually something I'm going to be getting on to doing after I'm done with this podcast. And um, in the meantime, go ahead, storm barnstorm back through our back catalog. If you enjoyed this, uh, hey. 
don't I will curse you. I will set I will put a curse on you if you don't go and give me a five star rating on wherever you're doing. That that's a thing now. And YouTubers are always threatening their audience because I guess it's a, a better call to action. But wherever you are, whatever you're listening to this on, give me a give me a five star rating or a or a thumbs up or or whatever and, and comment and tell me how much you liked it or didn't like it because every one of those little comments helps me grow a bit and get out in front of more people. It doesn't matter what podcatcher you're on iTunes is kind of like the most basic one. Head over to iTunes to do that. Uh, I'm on Himalaya. If you don't want to do any of that and you still want to talk to me, hey, hit me up on Facebook, facebook.com slash Westside Fairy Tales, Westside Fairy Tales Horn Lit Club 2. Hit those up, join them, jump in the conversation. You can find me on Twitter at WS Fairy Tales or Instagram, Westside Fairy Tales. I'm on YouTube too, is Westside Fairy Tales. I think I'm going to start doing some stuff on there. Uh, now that Monstro is wrapped up, and God only knows if anything will be happening with that show. If if I stop, end up end up stop work, stopping working for incongruity and shit. I'm going to be starting doing a lot more ancillary West Side Fairy Tale stuff, including I think if you guys have ever heard the game of the game Dead by Daylight, it's a horror based asymmetrical three verse or four verse one thing. But basically, you play as a fucking serial killer. And you try to kill four people before they can power up five generators and escape through doors on the sides of the level. And it's a it's a real blast, and I might start playing that shit on Twitch. I know I'm that guy. Uh, <laughs> another another person, another person talking about their Twitch, but it's not active yet, and who knows if it will be. Uh, I play a lot of that game, so either way. If you guys want to send me a direct message, go ahead and uh, email me at westsidefairytales at gmail.com. If you want to give us some money, Head on over to our Patreon, patreon.com slash Westside Fairy Tales. Westside Fairy Tales anywhere. Hit that, hit up Westside Fairy Tales on Google and it'll get you where you need to go. But anyway, uh, hit us up on Patreon. For just a dollar, you can get early access to episodes like this and much more. For five dollars, you get your name on the website. You get early access to even cooler stuff. For ten dollars, you get merch. I'll send you some books, bookmarks, and stickers. You get your name on the website and you get super early access to raw versions of the regular show which uh come out almost two weeks in advance which is which is pretty cool and uh for twenty dollars or more you can get pdfs original pdfs of the stories on the on the regular episodes i just sent those out yesterday actually if you're if you're listening they should have an email uh in your inbox and that they should be in there i lay them out with the uh the artwork that's done by our incredible uh artwork layout lady um yui Breed Love, who's incredible. You should check her out. Fiercely Art on uh, on Instagram. And of course, um, actually, I don't know what of course. Oh, yeah. And of course, if you, if you give us 50 bucks, we'll send you a whole. I'll print out and sign any story that you want it. And, uh, and I'll send it to you. And also, once we get the merch store open, each tier is going to come with its own discount code for use on the Squarespace website. Um, on on our website, which is on Squarespace, that means nothing to you. Our website uh, in our in our merch store because we found out that that uh, we we can actually hook all that sort of stuff up. So anyway, thanks a bunch for hanging out, sticking around with me. I hope you guys learned something. I hope you love the content. If you do, rate and review all that nice stuff. And until next time, as always, stay safe out there. Westside Fairy Tales is written, read, scored, and produced by Tyler Bell. Episode artwork by Yui Breedlove. All content herein copyright 
WSF Productions, LLC, 2019. Something's not quite right in the quiet mountain town of Targrady, West Virginia. Months after a local teen was lynched in the dead of a hot summer night, two men stand charged with murder in what the majority opinion considers to be an open and shut case. But Adelaide Stevenson, a young crime reporter from Charleston, is finding out the smallest cracks in the official narrative run far, far deeper than she could have ever expected. Join Adelaide and West by God as she navigates small town secrets, the dubious ethics of her own profession, and the dark whispers of an ancient creature, known to some as the Witcham Woman, who prowls the shadowed hollers that lie between night and nightmare. Sent on overnight assignment to cover the start of the trial, Adelaide quickly realizes the story she's been told, and been telling, doesn't make sense. Cryptic assertions of a concrete alibi are emailed to her by the family of the accused. Nobody in town seems comfortable discussing the basic facts of the case, and the murder she's been writing about wasn't the only tragic death this summer. Adelaide extends her stay against the wishes of her editor, and her investigations take a complicated and dangerous turn as she discovers the true depths of the mysteries surrounding Targrady. The only real evidence from the night of the murder may lie in the hands of a notorious local crime family led by an enigmatic woman known as the Fetid Queen. Local authorities seem to grow more hostile by the hour, and even Adelaide's own career might not survive this assignment. Featuring an eclectic cast of characters ranging from violent and horrifying to outlandish and fabulous, West by God is a must-read novel for anybody who enjoys Twin Peaks, Stephen King, and all the creepy places you find just off the path in the woods. It is the debut novel of Tyler Bell, a USMC infantry combat veteran, former crime and courts reporter for the Charleston Daily Mail, and creator of the award-winning West Side Fairy Tales horror and dark fiction podcast. Due for release by Henlow Press in October of 2023. Learn more at westsidefairytales.com slash westbygod.